Welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out all the stuff we're doing and reviewing at blisterreview.com. Caleb and Morgan Weinberg are two brothers who founded Romp Skis right here in Crested Butte, Colorado. So we sat down with them at our headquarters in CB to discuss their backgrounds, what it specifically means to them to be a custom ski building manufacturer, how in the world they ended up with a military contract to build skis for the 10th Special Forces Group, and more. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and you can learn more about Romp at rompskis.com, and I'm going to open here by having Caleb field the first question. So let's just go ahead and get right to it. We are here at our headquarters in Elevation, and I'm here with Caleb and Morgan. We are going to talk about Romp Skis. We're going to go a little bit on the background and then move into where things are in the present, but I'm excited to be doing this for all kinds of different reasons. So Caleb and Morgan, good to have you guys here. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. So going back to the beginning, beginning, you guys grew up where? Uh, We grew up in northern New Hampshire. Uh, We both ski raced as kids and I moved here to Gunnison to go to school at Western State in 1992 after I graduated from high school. And uh, Morgan followed. In 96. 96. Yep. And then I moved away a few times and back. You just couldn't get over the Gunnison Valley, huh? Nope. Yeah. It's just a lot to like, it turns out. So both went to Western. Uh, you I, went occasionally. Yeah, I went occasionally. You went occasionally <laughs> yeah, to Western. Yeah. Perfect. I, I went to and graduated from Western. So Okay. And what were you guys studying back in the day? Uh, I, studying I was, skiing? Well, or? yeah, I mean, that was primary, of course, but um, I was a rec major. Okay. So um, a lot of business classes and a lot of rec classes. But, I, you know, I moved to Gunnison. Um, we came here when I was a senior in high school, and... Uh, I was supposed to go on a seven college tour or something like that. And um, I skied at Crested Butte and we never left. We stayed here for the rest of the week. So, Well, and I think we spent like an hour and a half at Western at and Western. then came up here and stayed yeah. in this very hotel yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the next week. Yeah. So I really moved to Crested Butte, but I did go to school. Well, fair enough. And so were you racing? No, you guys racing not at that point. Yeah. Free skiing. Um, just free skiing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, free ski- in 1992, free skiing was just becoming a thing almost, you know, I mean, so there still wasn't, you know, good skis were still race skis, yeah. you know, so we were skiing all the steeps and all the stuff here at Crested Butte in the backcountry on race skis. On lots of side cut. Well, <laughs> n- on no side cut. On, on, oh, okay. On, okay. On, on, <laughs> yeah, this was funny boards. Yeah, this was, I was, I mean, I skied, my free skis were, uh, I'd call up my friends that were still racing back east and they would send me out their old, you know, their season old race skis. And I was skiing on like, you know, 210 uh, K2 TNC race, you know, race stocks. And, you know, they're not ideal for this, but that, you know, that's what we skied on to get the surface area. They had to be big. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, big powder days, I had 222s I'd pull out. So, <laughs> See, we we're so soft today. Like, the <laughs> skis are really good, and a lot of them work pretty well. And, oh, and, yeah. Uh, this is back when, you know. Yeah, skiing's easy now. Skiing's easy. A lot more fun, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a lot more fun. Yeah, for sure. So you guys find your way to the Gunnison Valley. You decide not to leave. And then is this the time when you start tinkering around with some skis, given that you were tired of skiing race skis. No, I mean, it took a long time. So that was, uh, that was in 92. Um, I moved to Crested Butte two years later. Uh, left living in Gunnison for a couple of years and um, finished going to school. I, went, I owned a snowmobile rental company for a few years. And then in the summers, I was working construction and then after a few years of that, I owned my own construction company. Um, and I did that all the way through to 2009 um, when Morgan had moved back from the last time that he moved away. And um, 2009 wasn't a great time for construction in a resort community or anywhere. Or really. anywhere, yeah. Um, so I had the winter off. And... Um, 
Morgan had found online that people had come up with some ways that you could build skis in your garage with kind of general woodworking tools, which I had because of my construction company. Yep. So, um, you know, vacuum bagging and, and other techniques that made it so you didn't need a factory. You could, so. Yeah, it was um, mostly like, I was looking at um, 333 skis. I don't know, oh, yeah. uh, um, Mike Lesh, I think that guy's name was. And he was making skis in a trailer and had like, really detailed instructions on how he was doing it. Like these YouTube videos that basically like out, he, you know, showed how he did it with really limited equipment. Um, yeah, I mean, he was doing it in like a 14 foot, um, like cube trailer. And then, and then the ski builders, um, forums, I got, you know, Use them to find materials. Yeah, and like really kind of in the weeds in that, spending hours looking at it. And yeah, so then we uh, we decided to give it a try and make some. We, we, made, um, we made eight pairs of skis that winter. Eight. Eight. Yeah. And um, they're still all screwed to the wall of our factory. They're, they're hideous. <laughs> um, but <laughs> we, we had a little bit of a background in fiberglass work. Um, because uh, we had a boating background as kids. Um, so we had done some building little boats. Um, so we knew a little bit about how to work with fiberglass, not just with wood. And uh, so yeah, we made eight pairs of skis that winter and, and they um, vacuum bags don't work terribly well at 9,500 feet. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we, we don't have that much atmosphere up here. So, you know, Kind of it's your high altitude baking environment. Well, yeah, right? well, kind of your your uh, janky back vacuum setup that you can build in your garage doesn't work that well anyway. At sea level, you can make it press, you know, somewhat up here, not that awesome. Um, but I mean, those eight pairs of skis still look like skis now, you know, and they got skied all winter um, that year, uh, and we so we we took them and we. You know, everyone wanted to see them once you, you know, once they're out there, they didn't have any top sheets on them. So it was just raw fiberglass. And um, so they didn't look like anything on a ski area that anyone had ever seen. There's no colors. There's no, you know, they have a Sharpie number written on them as a serial number, one, two, three, four. So um, you take them out on the ski area and everyone wanted to try them. So we let them out. And after all those years of being here, we knew a lot of, you know, pro skiers and ski patrollers and ski instructors and people who generally uh, know about their equipment. And when uh, we let those people try the skis, they were, they were just stoked on them. They kept telling us how well they skied and yeah, they were falling apart also, but they, <laughs> but till they did, right. But till they did, they, they were they ripped. Um, so yeah, by that, that was a whole winter. Uh, and by that spring, um, we decided we were going to go for it and start a company. So just to make sure I'm clear on the timeline, by that spring, so is this spring 2010? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And Morgan, quickly, your background on this. I mean, Caleb's got a construction company. Were you a tinkerer by nature or would yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, I went to film school was my education, huh. but, um, I, yeah, I was really, um, our dad um, was a contractor and we had a shop in our house and we used to just build stuff all the time and I used to build little boats um, when I was a kid and um, yeah so that's just we kind of have a do-it-yourself attitude and I had been working as a carpenter um, you know on and off uh, since I had graduated from high school so yeah okay so it's 2010 how do we settle on the name brainstorming mostly i mean we just had lists names are hard yeah they are really hard I and mean, you know i think romp came from like r like that rhyming group stomp romp blah 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 and then you know we were looking up definitions of the stuff from the rhyming group and we liked that we liked romp so you know i think we were looking for one syllable yeah um i can't remember what the other criteria were yeah I think the definition we found was to play boisterously. Hmm. 
seemed good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We like, part of the idea with the company was that we, I don't know, I feel like some ski companies and other sporting goods companies, they're like trying to be super cool and like hardcore. And we didn't really, we wanted to be about fun and like, you know, fun mainly. So, Would you say now you went in pretty naively into this? Or would you say in hindsight, looking back to 2010, you're like, actually, we feel like the ambition levels and how hard or easy things were going to be, like, we actually had a pretty good sense of that. Or were you like, oh, God? <laughs> no, we had no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we, you know, we had made these skis in the garage. And then that spring, we rented a space and we started building a factory. And obviously, the factory process is a distant relative of the garage process, but they really aren't very much alike. Um, we, I know we threw away the first 50 pairs of skis we made with the exception of one. Mm -hmm. So the very first pair that we pressed in our first, in our real press that we built was 95% of the way there to a saleable product. And then we threw away the next 50 pairs. Yeah, we couldn't repeat we it. We couldn't repeat it. I think, yeah, we thought you know, the skis we made in my garage were skiable and they skied well. So we thought we were like, I don't know, 80% to a, something we could sell, but I don't, we were only like 20% there. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, maybe. <laughs> you know, yeah, we definitely like, and then once we sort of just got it, it was like we were just banging our heads into the wall out of the time. Like we didn't have anyone to ask any questions of really. So yeah. we were just in there like go over and over, like trying to figure out what solve problems and that would, you know, it would create another problem even if we solve the problem. And uh, yeah, we definitely, if we had, you know, hired someone to help us from the beginning, it would have been a lot smarter than the way we did it. Mm -hmm. we, we like, it was like we invented making skis for the first time by ourselves. Always, but always smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like other people doing this. Yeah. You don't need to just yeah. be in this dark room inventing it. Yeah. We, what, uh, six years after we had started, we went and visited a big ski factory, the, the biggest one in the country. Hmm. And we walked in there thinking that, you know, these guys, it's going to be amazing. We're going to see stuff we've never even seen before. And we walked in there and we were like, they do it just like us. And we figured it out all by ourselves. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been one weekend. Right. Like, hey, yeah, uh, can we ask some questions? We eventually found out that there was um, a consultant that we could hire. Um, and he helped us solve some small, specific problems. But by the time we knew that, we had basically pushed through most of most of the, uh, the things that were really stopping us dead. You used the word repeatability. I don't think many people who aren't manufacturers think about that problem it's like well if you made one then cool like then you could do it again you can just do that's it. what we thought yeah <laughs> and but that's a pretty different thing like that refining processes to be able to turn out the same thing again and again it was more that than like we couldn't figure out what a flex like what flex pattern or side cut or materials to use. I mean, the no, we had, those things we we did pretty well on um, a lot of internet research and and things like that to find the right materials. And it those are definitely challenges. A lot of the materials have to be sourced from Europe, and there's there's challenges there. But the uh, we we've always been pretty good with the designs. We can come up with an idea and then you refine it through a number of versions and then you can get something you, I mean, other people seem to like our design. So, I've, so I'm using them telling me that, that we do a good job. Um, the repeatability and uh, just being, getting the manufacturing process is, it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, it, there's a, we always say there's a million ways to do it wrong and there's only one way that does it right. Mm -hmm. So um, we've, We've found, you know, most of those million ways to do it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I was listening to an interview with a film producer the other day, and she was saying, like, when you're trying to make a movie, she was talking about movies, but I think it's true for anything, that, like, things want to be bad. Mm -hmm. Like, everything wants to be bad, and you have to work really hard to make it yeah. be good. Yeah. Yeah, so basically from that spring 2010, um, 
all the way through to spring 2011, so a year, um, we sold maybe, I, I don't know, 50 pairs of skis or something like that mm -hmm. in that year, but we made a couple hundred. So in that, you know, each time we thought we had it and we'd get a pair and we'd sell them, then we'd have to make 10 or 20 wrong again before we could get the next pair to go out the door. Um, yeah, so it was a battle. What was the headspace like during that time? Was this depressing or was it more like you'd sort of curse, but think we were on the cusp of figuring this out? It went back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it was awesome when we'd, we'd make some breakthrough, like, you know, solve some problem we had and it was really solved. It, like, But sometimes it would just, we'd think we'd have it solved and then it would just come back on the next pair. And, and a lot of it also had to do with we were making all our own equipment. You know, you can't really go buy a ski press um, or a lot of these other things. And we didn't have the budget to buy, um, like we have a factory size CNC machine now. Back then we had this little like do it yourself tinkery one that mm -hmm. didn't really have the accuracy. So when you think you're repeating something, maybe you actually weren't and the tolerances are very small. So um, something can be wrong and you don't notice because the machine says it did the same thing as it did last time, but. Yeah, um, and we didn't really need, like, we didn't even really know how to, like, operate that CNC machine very well. So we wouldn't know, like, if it was a software problem or a, or hardware problem or user error or what. Was there, a, was there a favorite breakthrough moment or sort of eureka moment? Uh, to me, it was kind of the opposite of, of that. It's, <laughs> you, well, it's that... All of a sudden, we would have made 10, 20 pairs that we just made and they left the building. And that was like the, you know, when you see a pair go out the door, it's like the moment you're like, I completed that and it's, yeah. and it's done. And um, that, so it was the, the moments of things not happening that all of a sudden you're like, we're just going to work and, and we get to design these cool skis because yeah. they are custom. So each one is different on top of all the other things. So but they, they just start happening where work be, starts to become, you know, you get to work at the parts of it that you want to do, not the parts of it that you're forced to do. Um, and that's when it started, like the, those longer stretches of things going right. And that that's kind of was the success feeling, I think. Yeah, yeah it's definitely incremental and it still is like, cause we always, we are always trying to make them get, be better. Yep. There's always some, you know, something, that we're trying to improve about the skis. So. We have whiteboards all over the shop that have dates on them. We started this on this date, and then we started this, and then we did this. And in each process, you know, we change things constantly. So we have all these notes of when things have changed in the process as we just progress it all the time. Hmm. So let's talk a bit about custom. That word, I think, is increasingly getting thrown around by various ski manufacturers. So. For people who maybe aren't familiar, talk a little bit about like what does custom mean for romp? You know, we so we develop shapes basically. So, you know, the, the outline of the ski, we develop those and test them and refine them. So when someone comes in, they we help them choose a shape. And then um, from there it's the camber rocker and the flex that that gets customized. And the graphics. And the graphics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't, we never, we didn't feel like the shapes were something that we could design, you know, a different one for each customer that we just didn't feel like that was, that it would always be good if we did that. There's, there's just too many small variations that could make the skis be bad. Yep. And um, a millimeter different here and there, yep. a little different than the taper. And it, I mean, we don't, when we, when we test a prototype, we don't get it right the first time. Yep. So we didn't feel like we could tell a person, this is going to be the best thing you've ever skied on when we haven't skied on it like that. Yeah. And kind of the other option is that you don't really do that. And you're just sort of saying you are, but you're just recycling other designs and like maybe changing them a tiny bit. And then that, there's just not really any point to that either. Mm -hmm. So, and you guys, I mean, talk to me a little bit about the the range of customers or orders that you get in. I mean, if you can generalize a little bit about your customer base, 
Is it a little more toward, hey, help me figure out something that you think will work? Or is it somebody coming with a very specific, uh, maybe overdetermined sense of like, I want exactly A, B, C, D, E? So our, our process when we first started, um, we talked to the customers a lot more about the technical aspects of the ski, um, side cuts and tapers and flexes and core tapers and things like that. And we we learned pretty quickly that most people, even avid skiers, you know, say 30 to 50 day a year skiers, I mean, there's that's a fairly small group overall. And they most people don't know that much about their skis. Mm-hmm. And they may know the tip center and tail widths or, you know, something like that, you know, some rocker number, something like that. But in general, they don't know that much about their skis and they don't really know what skis would actually be better for them or what would improve over what they're skiing on. You know, sometimes they love their skis or they hate their skis, but they don't know what about it they love or hate. And um, I'm sure you deal with this testing skis, right? You have Mm -hmm. to really be able to fine tune what about this is feeling whatever way it is. Yeah. Um, So we've evolved our system. It's much more now that we talk to the people about their skiing. And then because we've put all this time into understanding what the ski, what changes in the ski is going to change what for the skier. Mm-hmm. So um, our system now is a questionnaire that's almost entirely, it's not like a built, it's, it's an interview. It's not a questionnaire, I guess, but it's more all about their skiing. Mm-hmm. And it's questions that they can answer about their skiing that don't involve um, them having to know about the technical aspects of the skis. So, I mean, to answer your question more specifically, is almost none of our customers know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, we occasionally get somebody um, that wants something really strange. And we have, a, um, we have a separate program we call our full custom program. And that's one where you can actually build anything. Mm-hmm. And um, we've built some really you know, people come in with some crazy idea and we, that's kind of fun. We, Mm -hmm. you know, but they, that, that program has the, um, it has no guarantees, you know, like our regular skis, because you can't demo it, right. Because it's custom made for you. Um, we, we guarantee you're going to love it, but we have to, right. You're buying something that you can't try. So, um, if you got the full custom skis where you, you get to pick anything in the world right. and we just figure out how to make it, that one's kind of on you. That's, that's your design. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. If somebody is coming into Crested Butte, because, you know, of course they want to see the blister showroom that we're sitting in that <laughs> we are still finishing at the moment, they're coming here, they'd be interested in getting on a romp. I mean, what, do you, what is the current situation or setup? What's possible in that regard? Um, we have a full demo fleet at the factory, and then here in town at Crested Butte Sports, they have a demo fleet also. Um, and that, it, it's, I mean, it's great. People can get on our skis and try them out and get a feel for it. And, and someone who's been skiing on a big European brand ski, you know, their whole life, um, they may not be ready to, to throw down a bunch of money on something they, they can't try, which is why we have yep. the demo skis. And we do sell stock skis out of our factory. So... Um, they're just like the demo fleet and that's just like any other brand. You can demo it and buy the same one if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, but our custom skis are really what our business is about. So, yeah, I mean, that seems like an interesting, like logistical problem, right? If it's like custom by definition means you're not going to be able to ski it until, till it's built. Um, but it sounds to me like that's exactly what a whole bunch of your customers are doing as opposed to getting on some sort of stock model of a shape first. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, they, you have to trust us that we're going to come up with something that you're going to like. And, you know, I think we're pretty good at it and we stand behind them. So if someone's like that, I've, you know, I've skied these for 10 days and they just don't work for me. And we, you know, work with them to put, get them on something that does work for them. And I think the demos do work well because a lot of the time that does give them, they can ski on it and they won't usually say something like, oh, these were too stiff for me, but they'll say, oh, like I felt like I was kind of getting stuck on the fall line or, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't able to carve this well. And 
and then we could say, oh, like maybe that was a little too stiff for you, or maybe you need a little bit more rocker or a shorter ski. And so it gives sort of a start. It's a nice starting point for the custom process to get them someone to try our skis and just um, to get started. Otherwise, we, you know, part of the interview is we'll talk to them a lot about what other skis they've owned and what they've liked about what skis and what they haven't liked yeah. about other ones. And I, you know, we spend a bunch of time on Google figuring out what they've been skiing on from what year and yep. go, oh yeah I know that ski we can we can work off of an, you know some idea that, of they what they like mm -hmm. um, even though a lot of people are on skis that are you know you're on skis that are six or seven years old and they're like I want ones just like this because I love them and we say eh you're gonna like a new one better mm -hmm. like there's been innovation since then mm -hmm. one of the things that I was noticing it seemed like a lot of the romp shapes, you know, that you, that somebody can see on the site, there's, there is quite a bit of side cut on these, even on some of the wider skis. No, it's definitely true. And like, I, we were definitely influenced by line. That's like line skis. We, we, that's what we both skied on before we started romp. And those tend to have a lot of side cut. True. Yeah. And the thing with us, as a ski gets wider, You've got to like shift your hips over more to get it more on edge because the, the ski itself is wire. You have to move more to get it on edge. So it makes it harder to get it on edge to make it turn a tight turn. So if you give it more side cut, you don't have to put it as far on edge to get it to turn. And I mean, that that's definitely a, that's why we do it. And um, it makes those skis that are the wider skis that have more side cut are definitely more fun on groomers than a than a straighter ski because sure. you can still you can get it far enough on edge that you can lay down carves whereas if a straighter one it's just it's really hard to, to bank, get it over enough to really make it carve a turn and get it to carve across the fall line you end up having to steer it a little bit um, very few skiers can create those kind of angles um, that takes, you know, you're talking about like a lifetime of race training type skier mm -hmm. who can put a ski with a 27 meter side cut and put it up on edge that's 120 underfoot and arc a turn on it. Mm -hmm. That um, they're few and far between people who can actually do that. Mm. So that's interesting. I mean, in the sense that, so the idea is, look, we want our wide skis to carve well on groomers or if you're on nice chalk or whatever that's a decision right about what a romp ski is going to do and I'm, I'm a little bit curious to know how much of that is influenced either by an east coast background or this mountain right outside our door right i mean other skis if you're skiing spines in alaska if that's primarily what you're designing for i could see going with a straighter shape for sure right what are kind of some of those foundational design elements well, I mean, the, if you're going to build a ski to ski spines in Alaska, you're not going to sell very many skis, right? Uh -huh. There's, um, there's what, two, three hundred people that do that, that actually do it. Um, I guess there might be a few hundred more that might buy them because they wish they were going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for, for ski area skiing, um, even at a place like here in Crested Butte, where we have a lot of ungroomed steep terrain, um, everything spits you out onto a groomer eventually. Mm -hmm. And you have to ski that groomer to get back to the lift. And that, um, most ski areas are that way. Uh, and when you get out on a groomer, it sure is fun to be able to arc a big turn mm -hmm. and not be on something that's, you know, floppy with no, you know, you're skiing a 190 that's got 90 centimeters on the ground and it can't hold an edge. Um, that's, you know, not a, uh, that's not an ideal setup for, for a ski area ski. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our, our clients are, um, you know, they're paying a little more for their skis than, than some people are. Um, but still most of them only have one pair of skis. Yep. So if you want a ski, that's going to be good on a powder day, but you're going to ski it every single day that you go skiing. Um, mm. it's a lot more fun if it'll arc some turns. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit then about, if not all of your shapes, some of the, the primary widths or, or what do you want to say then for somebody listening who, you know, hasn't checked things out yet? Yeah, I think the, what we kind of done um, is we, we have these groupings sort of that are matched by side cut. So um, 
we so we have our we have like two sort of more their square tail like carving kind of style skis that are we have an 86 underfoot and a 94 underfoot and those are more designed as on-piece skis and they have quite a bit of side cut the 94 is a little bit straighter than the the 86 underfoot ski um and then you get up into we have a 100 under all our skis are just named for their width underfoot so there's the 100 and um that one has is a very turny ski it has a 17 meter radius in the um 183 and that's matched with the 115 which is 115 underfoot and they those skis have the same side cut so it's the idea is that you can build a quiver you can have this 100 underfoot ski and then a 115 underfoot ski and they'll ski similarly and then we do the same thing with our 106 and 120 models which uh they basically have straighter side cuts so the 106 is a 21 meter side cut and a 185. Um, still not super straight but straighter uh, and then um we have a pintail, which is, you know, the style ski with a big shovel and a, you know, a, a, a smaller and a lot of taper to it. And the idea with that ski is that it's an easy, easy to ski and powder ski. Um, it actually still carves pretty well um, if, if you can get it up on edge like that. And those are 110 underfoot. And that ski, you know, I really like them. Um, I guess it seems like they, people have extreme opinions about that style ski. You either really like that style ski or you hate it. And, um, it's great, but for someone who's struggling in powder, like yeah. it's the best thing there is because they're, they plane out so easily, um, that, uh, you don't have to go as fast in the powder. And I think that's what kills a lot of people's powder skiing is they're afraid to go the speed they need to go to float. So then they're just wallowing all the time. Um, and then the other model we make is, um, it's the 110, and it actually is a much straighter side cut ski. I think it's a 25 meter um, radius in the 183. And that ski was specifically designed as like a backcountry ski. Because um, the, the big side cut is great, the tighter radius, but um, sometimes when you're in variable snow, that will, um, it'll punch. Like the, the tip and the tail will float and the middle will punch in and it's a horrible feeling. So the, um, that 110 is designed to sort of co combat that and also go for maximum surface area. So, um, and that's also a really good ski for just people who like to ski super fast. And that it's a square tail directional ski. And we make skimo skis as well um, for people who are into that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Running the gamut. Yeah. Okay, so it's a it's a it's a favorite and most hated topic of mine. We keep seeing companies make lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter inbound skis. Where do you guys fall on the like weight is a good thing or we really like a lightweight ski what's the philosophy there i mean our skis are fairly light if you just looked at the the full spectrum of all skis um we don't use any metal in our skis so that just puts them kind of on the lighter side mm -hmm. already um we use poplar cores so they're a little lighter than someone who's using a maple core um but weight was never something on our ski area skis that we even thought about yeah it's that just because of the materials that we decided to make the best skis our skis ended up being on a little bit on the light side mm -hmm. um that said we make we make all of our skis in backcountry versions and the backcountry versions have polonia cores and all the fiberglass is replaced with carbon fiber and we've managed to get those very light even the big skis are under seven pounds um, because in the backcountry, weight is a big deal. Yep. yep. So, um, so to be clear, yeah, it's always every romp ski and an inbound ski is going to be a poplar core. Every romp backcountry ski touring ski is going to be a Polonia core. Correct. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah, um, we chose the poplar for ski area skis um, because basically the challenge in making a good ski is making it soft enough. Not that you want to go as soft as possible, but making it, you know, you can make the skis as thick as you want and you can add as much carbon and fiberglass to them as you want. So they're easy to stiffen. Um, softening skis is difficult. You can't go too thin or else uh, you can't put screws in them anymore to hold bindings. So you need a wood that's strong enough to support the ski and make it dampen and, and uh, be a good core, but it doesn't need to be overly strong because then you're just adding stiffness that you can't remove. Because we, you know, we're custom, we're customizing these skis for every person. So we're, we're changing the, the profiles of those cores um, all the time and adding different amounts of material into the laminate. So um, that's why we went with the poplar is it gives us the most adjustability. The other day we came by the factory and we were talking a little bit about a maybe newer tech that we might not be allowed to talk about. No, no, we can talk about it. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, countervail is the material, and it's it's a carbon fi it's a vibration dampened carbon fiber, and we so the skis we make with that they they have the the poplar core because um, they're they're really um, ski area skis because we've found that backcountry skis you don't really need that much dampening because powder is you know it's soft so there's not a lot it's not transmitting vibration so that countervail um it absorbs vibration without any um extra weight so you basically get a, a ski that's dampened but isn't heavy and most materials that absorb vibration have they call it cannibalistic weight so it's just weight that doesn't add anything um and we built you we use triaxial carbon with that so it's a full carbon ski with a poplar core and it saves a bunch of weight and they so it's they're really cool because there's not a lot of skis that are light and damp so it's a it's an interesting feeling to have that not a lot of vibration but be on something that's really light normally to have a very damp ski um they just add layers of metal all the way up to, you know, a World Cup downhill ski has seven, eight layers of metal in it. And a pair of them, you know, weighs 16 pounds or something like that. I, I don't even know. A lot. <laughs> um, and we've found, you know, the uh, kind of the average skier, um, say a, an intermediate or an upper intermediate skier, um, all that weight is detrimental to their enjoyment of skiing because they may have to quit at one because they get tired and it's the same thing with vibration and chatter kind of lack of edge hold um, those things tire people out so um, if you ski 150 days a year and you're completely in shape for it that's one thing but if you go on you know if you ski two two week ski vacations a year um, having a lighter ski that it is more damp and less chattery um, you may make it till three o'clock instead of one o'clock. And mm -hmm. that's been the thing I think we've seen though, like as we have tested a lot of these really lightweight skis, I find going too light inbounds is totally fatiguing in its own right, right? Because if you're not getting that, if that ski's not providing that damping or good suspension, I mean, I get beat up. And that's why in general, I'll take a heavier ski and like let that ski do the work rather than my legs and stuff. So I think we're in an interesting period where I don't think anybody used to be building lightweight inbound skis. And I've, I mean, like that seems to me pretty new. And now I think that envelope is being pushed and I'm, and I've kind of resisted that trend, but I'm all for it if we actually are finding solutions that, let us get skis that to be a bit lighter, but actually truly are still giving a good damping or good suspension in that ski. And it seems like that is where I think, I think there's going to be a whole lot of ski manufacturers looking to try to accomplish that. Uh, yeah. I mean, lightweight in itself, if it uh, takes away from the performance of the ski, 
I mean, they're better for sitting on the lift with, I guess, yeah. but that isn't really yeah. what you're there for. <clears throat> yeah. um, and I mean, that's, I mean, if you take one of our backcountry skis um, on the ski area, it, it, I mean, that's not what they're for. Yep. And they don't ski particularly well. We're the first to say it when people buy them. If they say, oh, I might go in the backcountry some and some on the ski area, okay, buy the ski area version. Yep. Because the backcountry version, I mean, they're loose and chattery and it's just, I mean, that's not what, they're not designed to do that. Yeah. And uh, if you just go for lightweight, uh, that's what you're going to end up with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like a Schemo race ski is the yeah. extreme version of that. Like they ski terribly. And I mean, we, ours, we try to make it ski as well as it can, but they're not great. And I think I, ours still have a full, um, full sidewall construction. And that helps a lot because that plastic absorbs some energy mm -hmm. and, uh, but yeah, I mean, the lightweight does not equal good skiing. Yeah. But if it's a schemo ski, we're real clear. That's about going uphill, right? right? And yeah. so it's like totally on board, like totally get it. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Not yesterday, but a couple of days ago, our managing editor, Luke Kappa, I understand, came down to the factory. Did he work with both of you guys or one of you guys? I think guys? he talked to Caleb. Yeah, okay. I did the uh, ski interview with him. Okay. Yep. And... The new tech countervail, is that going in his ski? What did you guys decide? No, we decided to do our standard build okay. um, for his skis. And I think that was just a, uh, he wanted to test something that's more accessible to the most customers, I guess. Okay. Um, the countervail is a expensive material yep. and it it's expensive on our end and yep. that gets passed through. So. Um, I think his goal was just to test something that the most people can more get representative. On. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have to get you guys out on some at some point. Yeah, but. it'd be fun to try. By the way, how was Luke? Because if he was bad or didn't give good info, I'll <laughs> fire him right now. <laughs> no, he he was great. We uh, we went through the ski interview with him just the way I do with with any customer. Yeah. Um, which uh, hopefully he got a good experience by by doing that. I'm sure we'll hear in the review. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's getting skis just the way everyone else does. Yep. And, uh, he's going to have to wait his six weeks or so to get them. Yep. Also. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Well, Luke is actually pretty sharp, um, and a good skier. So, but you'd let me know if he blew it, we'll fire him. Right. Everybody's, everybody's <laughs> disposable, you know, talk to me a little bit about this program you guys have going. I think, you know, the unusual one that I'm referring to. <laughs> so, um, we made skis for 10th group special forces um and we uh i believe from from information they gave us we are about the smallest uh military contractor that there has ever been um how so, did this come about well the story the way it started is um some retired special forces guys um that were I think they must have been in their early 50s, maybe. Um, they came in, and there was five of them, and they wanted to make a commemorative uh, graphic, So, um, which is something we do all the time. We do custom graphics, and we'll do them for an individual. We do a lot of them for groups and cost, uh, businesses and different things. But So these guys came in. And they designed this graphic, and it has um, lots of military symbolism on it about the special forces going all the way back to World War II when the special forces was started. Um, there's an example of them on our custom graphics examples page on our webpage if someone wanted to see it. Um, but it's a white ski with a topo map on it and then a, a bunch of symbolism that means stuff to them. So we made these five pairs, and those guys skied them that winter. And they love their skis, and they decided to um, allow anyone who is a current or former member of 10th Group to order a pair of skis with their graphic. And so we started selling them to, to you know, a few guys who, who skied recreationally. And um, 10th Group is uh, their winter warfare guys. Um, and their area that they work out of is in Europe. So um, the year after that, 10th Group itself was looking for skis, and they put it out to a military, you know, to a bid, the way the military does. Mm -hmm. 
And um, because some of those guys had skied on our skis, they recommended that we bid on it. Um, in, uh, for us to be able to bid on it, we had to become Department of Defense contractors. That's amazing. Which, um, <laughs> which is a, a hell of a process. Yeah, I I, I, anyone who, who attempts it, you better have a good reason. Um, we were very lucky. Uh, I f we found a, uh, a nonprofit down in Colorado Springs that specializes in helping companies become military contractors. Um, there's no way we could have done it without them. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of paperwork is, it will bury you. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's not even the, the amount and the fact that you can't even understand, you know, it's written in like the combination of like military and legalese that, I, you know, you, you can't even understand what they're talking about. So you need someone to tell you how to answer the questions. Um, but we got through that whole process and we bid on the skis and a few other companies bid on them also. And um, we won the bid. And um, I... What we feel like, we don't know this for sure, but what we feel like the reason we won the bid is because we're a custom manufacturer. So they gave us specs of what they needed in a ski, and um, their specs are unusual. Um, these guys weigh 190 to 220 pounds. They carry 70-pound packs. They want to ski on 165s. Um, so hmm. that... They're not the best skiers, right? I but, mean, you know, well, I mean, I'm going to tell them you said that. They're gonna <laughs> some come. of them are, but a lot of them are, you know, they're new yeah. to it, and it's yeah. the first time they ever skied. So the lo longer skis just feel like way too much, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they tore on them too. Right? Yeah. They use them in the backcountry. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, it's a mode of transportation for them to get yeah. through the mountains. So, um, so given those parameters, um, I think a lot of bigger ski companies and and ones that don't do things custom just pulled something off the rack and sent it in you know as their test ski for the bid and we just built them a ski that was built exactly for what they said it was for interesting um and yeah so we got the contract and uh over that we built all the skis over the year after that now is this something that is ongoing um, we have had opportunities to bid more skis. Um, the, the military system does not move quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so we completed the contract that we had. We don't have another one, but we are in process of, of dealing with it. So hopefully it will be ongoing. Two weeks ago, I saw a big group here. I was actually in a meeting and I like left the meeting to run outside to go try to get a closer look at these skis, but it looked to me like it was blank white skis. And I... That's, that's them. Yeah. That's the ones we made. Um, unless you're looking at some, some, some old skinny white ones that they still have around, but... No, but the, yeah, no, if you see them on a modern ski, um, those guys train it. They're based at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs, so they they train all over the state. So groups of them do come here. Yeah. And they um, when I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I know that when guys join tenth group, they don't have to have skiing experience. Mm -hmm. So they'll come to a ski area, stay in a hotel, and ski for two or three weeks on the ski area just to learn. That's like their their first experience on skis, and then they move into the backcountry training after that. Mm -hmm. No, it's pretty cool though. But yeah, I wasn't exactly like, I'm going to run up to those guys in camo, these big dudes in camo, be like, hey, what's up? Let's talk skis. I was just like, most of them are super friendly guys. So yeah, we've been um, pleasantly surprised for sure. How, you know, I mean, they're, they're big, tough, gnarly looking dudes. And um, they are stoked to be out skiing. Mm. Like they, uh, it's like we've had a lot of fun working with them. Mm -hmm. um, the individual, all, Every one of the individuals that we've worked with, from the instructors um, to the guys that were involved with the bidding, and then just some of the, you know, we've just gone out skiing a few times with the guys on the hill that are here learning, and, and it's, they've all been great. They're, they're having a good time, and they're fun to be around. Hmm. As I like to sometimes ask, what's the best question I haven't asked you? So I think there's a, a misconception that um, custom skis are for expert skiers only, and um, People would, you know, sometimes tell us, I don't, I don't need that or that can't help me. I'm not good enough. Um, so the question of, would be, you know, who, is, who are custom skis for? And really they're for everybody because 
um, a product that's made specifically for you, your skiing style and ability, um, and really your aspirations. Um, it's part of our interview to ask somebody, um, you know, they tell us, oh, I ski this, I ski that, I like to do this. And then we say, well, what would you like to be doing? Like, wh what about your skiing would you like to make better? And people say, I want to be better in the bumps. I want to be better. I, you know, I wish I could really carve. Um, I want to ski faster. I want to ski powder, you know, whatever their aspiration is. And we can um, take whichever shape that we've chosen for them and tune the flex and the camber and the rocker to make that ski um, help them in the direction they want to go. Yeah, you know, when someone said, like, we'll have people be like, I hate powder, and that's just, like, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have not been served well <laughs> by the equipment you've yeah. been on. No, fair points. And I, I think that, I mean, I've I've heard that enough. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just Just give me something. And, like, if you go to other analogies in life where you would just never say that's true. And the one I use a lot is, like, if someone was like, I've never driven a car and you're like, okay, well, we've got two, one has power steering and one doesn't. And I was like, oh, it's, it's cool. I've never driven. I, I won't, I won't be able to tell the difference. It's like, yes, you will. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like you don't know what you need, but I can guarantee you, you will notice the difference. And, you know, to mix metaphors, like maybe not hate powder anymore. Right. Right. Well, Caleb answered that one. I feel like the best question I haven't asked you since you said you were like a film school guy, either your favorite movie or the best movie you've seen in the last year or two. You are on the spot. <laughs> I'd say my favorite movie is probably No Country for Old Men, Coen Brothers. Um, I, don't, I can't think of anything from the past year, but... The, um, the new version of Blizzard of Oz that they, re they redid... <laughs> That played here this fall. It's awesome. <laughs> That's your favorite? <laughs> That's my best movie this year. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, when we were kids, we had Blizzard of Oz and Maltese Flamingo, which was like the movie that came out before that. Uh -huh. And we actually wore out the VHS tapes, like watching it over and over again. That's what happens when you're in New Hampshire and you're looking at that going, it can snow that much, much. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect way for us to end this conversation, I think. Excellent. Here's to here's to great ski movies and seeing what's out there when you're when you're young and and now you guys are building the equipment that lets people go get on the mountain and enjoy themselves. That's pretty yeah. Cool. Thanks for having us. Let's see. People, if they're interested, they can rompskis.com. Yep, rompskis.com. They can probably also find you guys working hard in the shop here in Crested Butte. Yeah, um, yeah. We we have demos at the shop that people can come and try and uh, and our demo van cruises around the state so and around colorado and we'll do a utah trip too so huh. yeah people you can, can see us watch there. the social media for uh for where the demos will be excellent well we'll link to the social accounts and that kind of thing so people can find those well guys thank you for the time and we've had some previous blister reviewers get on some romp skis i have not yet so uh, i'm still waiting my turn here but uh we'll, we'll make it happen this winter and I'm looking forward to checking them out. Cool. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Caleb and Morgan for the conversation. And you can check out their work and their custom process at rompskis.com. Thanks also to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And we will talk to you again next week. Take care, everybody.